In today's episode, I had the opportunity to interview Tracy E. Baldwin, author and communications strategist. Tracy's book, Life Disrupted, is not only a must read, but also sheds light on mental health and getting through difficult times. Tracy's ability to share her story is not only courageous, it is also a testament to her mission to help others. Please note that today's episode deals with some sensitive subjects, and I hope that it will be a beacon should you need it. Please have a listen and stay tuned for the outro immediately following the podcast. I hope that you will find comfort in what may be a shared experience or the tools necessary to assist others. Tracy, like you, is the hero of her own story. Hi, and welcome to Working It Out uh, with Jay Rico Blanco. Um, I always say I'm super excited, but I'm beyond excited to introduce you to my good friend, Tracy Baldwin, who is an author, brand marketing expert, and change maker, but she's also a communication strategist. Like, she has amazing strategies, and since the first day that I met her, it has been nothing but this, like, ride of creativity and i can go to tracy with questions that i have so it was no surprise to me when tracy decided that she was going to write a book tracy's book is called life disrupted finding your way forward when the world is upside down um tracy can you introduce yourself and tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and about you know the book like a nice little tiny introduction because eventually we're going to get into the book because i think your book is amazing i've actually read it twice for for two reasons the second time i thought i was reading it just to get more content for the episode but the second time was really to digest a lot of the information because uh i think sometimes when you see something and and you first see it you're like okay some some shock value to some degree but then also it's uh i, I kind of want to dive deeper have you know and i know we've all been guilty of this we've watched like reruns of sex in a city or reruns of you know uh whatever it may be whatever str- you may stream like stranger things or the lord of the rings and then you see something you didn't see before and that's what you do with really good books and so i just want to say your book is that good that i'm actually going to read it a third time uh and i'll talk a little bit about that and about this episode but tracy go ahead and introduce yourself well, first of all, I'm so excited to be here too. Beyond excited, as you said, and I adore you ever since we worked together um, a couple of years ago. And I think you're one of the most positive people I've ever met. And so I'm just really thankful and excited to be here to share my very personal book with you and your listeners. It's something you know, like you kind of alluded to something tough that I went through, but came out the other side. And I want to share what I learned through that experience with other people. So I'm really happy to be here to do that with your listeners. I started um, like a lot of people just, you know, going to school, trying to get good grades, trying to get a good job after college, make a living. And I was probably um, of those high achieving types, um, maybe type A even. And, you know, as a woman, I was told I could do all the things. Um, So not only have a job, but be a mom and all of the, all of that. And, 
you know, and I did it for many years, um, worked in um, a communications profession, still do, worked at top public relations agencies for top brands. And I, you know, had some really great jobs along the way, but then I also had motherhood <laughs> and it was a lot. And so I got to a point during the pandemic where it was just too much. Like, I think it was for a lot of people and I suffered burnout, extreme burnout and had to kind of pick up the pieces. And so I have a journalism background uh, as part of me coming back from that burnout breakdown. I um, decided I wanted to share my story and it's based on a lot of research so yeah, so I'm happy to to share what I went through. So maybe other people won't have to go through what I went through, or at least maybe help them along as they're going through it. Wow. Um, so that's a lot, but it completely makes sense <laughs> because <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I want the listeners to know that we're going to have a bonus uh, because as I went through your book a second time, I really found the design of your book to be conducive to learning. At the end of each chapter, you have a set of questions that you ask the reader. And mm -hmm. I've read books like that, self-help books and books that challenge the reader to sort of go and up and beyond and kind of relate to the author. So as you know, in my book, Working It Out, a spin instructor's playlist for uh, a spin instructor's guide for creating playlists for efficiency of your work life and so on and so forth, I kind of challenge the readers with like, you know, develop your own playlist and have fun with it. So I had I had a lot of fun with your questions. And obviously, you and I spoke before the taping of this podcast. And so I'm really excited to announce that you and I are actually going to do two episodes. This episode, we are going to go over your book and the content of your book and your personal story. And then in the next episode, we'll, which we'll be recording a couple days later so that it's fresh, uh, Tracy is actually going to ask me some of the questions within the book because I feel that it's necessary for, for me to work through some of those questions because I thought the questions were well thought out. I just think that in self-help, there's a lot of questioning. You know what I mean? I've read a ton mm -hmm. of self-help books, a ton of, and it, everything's basically self-help. If you're reading a minimalist book, you're doing it for a reason. It's because there's too much, there's chaos on and so forth. Right. So super excited about that. So first and foremost, the book, uh, once again, is incredible. Uh, I wanna tell the readers, when you first see the book, there's a image, a shadow of someone <laughs> on a swing and they're wearing high heels and they're like swinging yes. and there's this sky and the sky is so vibrant with clouds. You ever see it when the sun is kind of poking through, uh, but there's this shadow. So when I kept putting the book down, I sometimes would not even pay attention to the font or the words and want to pick it up and turn the person right side up. And so I think even from the very beginning that you can tell that life is disrupted, but there's joy in this person who's on this swing. You know, there's clouds, there's mm. sunshine peeking through. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the design of your book? Because I also think that the cover sort of goes along with the storytelling that you tell in the book. Um, yeah, so the book cover, as anyone who has written a book will know, is a tricky part of the process. And it's an important part, right? Because that kind of encapsulates the book and it, you know, entices people to read it. And so there were lots of different versions of the cover. Um, there were other versions where it was an upside down emoji smiley face. So it was kind of like a frown face. Um, there was some stop signs, like physical, um, more like a map you know, because I, I talk about stop signs in the book. So it kind of had that 
type of theme. And then it had this one where I had the earlier versions were just two little girls holding hands, hanging upside down. And I felt like that really spoke a lot to the book. And it also like the dark clouds with the light breaking through was important. So because there was darkness and I think there's darkness in everyone's life. Everyone goes through hard times, right? Agreed. But the sun always rises, right? Um, You know, it's night and day. The night comes, but then every morning the sun rises and there's so much beauty in that. And so I wanted to communicate that idea through the cover. Um, I also... I think the flowing of the the person on the trapeze, you know, like like that was movement rather than just static on monkey bars or something hanging upside yes. down because life is always moving. It's always in motion. I talk about in the book how emotions are energy in motion. And so I really wanted there to be some kind of movement. And then just that idea that, you know, you think life is going to be one way and then you find yourself upside down, you know, but you still have to move through it. So it was that idea of like, here's this woman who's seemingly put together, but she's hanging upside down on a trapeze and moving through life from also from like darkness to light. And so, yeah, I think the cover really encapsulates what the book is about for me and would maybe be a calling card to other people who could maybe identify with it enough to say like, Hey, uh, you know, that that kind of feels like me or I, I feel drawn to this. I want to like at least pick it up and, you know, maybe look at the jacket, you know, or the back cover and see what this is all about. And so, yeah, that's what I, I really thought long and hard. So I'm, I like that you found it compelling. It, you know, it was purposeful for sure. Um, when I went through what I went through, I was looking for a book that, you know, it was almost like recipe for living your best life or a recipe to put your life back together after a hard time. And no books are really titled that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, I, I Googled them. They don't exist. Um, <laughs> and so that is, that's what I was trying to do. Like what, what happens when you hit something so hard that you're just, you feel down and out, like, how do you get back up? And so that's what I was trying to communicate with that cover. And actually, you know, Dear Evan Hansen has the song, You Will Be Found. Mm-hmm. I know. It. And that song is like, so like, so meaningful to me during this time and still even when I hear it I get all teary-eyed um but it's like when you're down on the ground you know you will be found basically and so that's what I want to kind of communicate with the cover like I see you you will be found you're not alone absolutely uh thank you for that synopsis of the cover I think you know and, and if folks could see it you got to run out get this book like disrupted Tracy E. Baldwin, the lady on the trapeze is also wearing high heels. So it's like interesting because I'm not sure if folks out there have done trapeze and so on, but it, you're barely holding on to anything. You know what I mean? So even to leave those shoes on right. and, you know, shoes and fashion uh, in the previous episode before your episode uh, in a recent episode that I just posted, uh, it's one of my buddies, Otha, who has worked on Shining Girls, Apple TV and Empire and so on. He's a customer for not a customer, but a customer. And, you know, fashion can be challenging, you know, and, and to maintain that and to have a standard. And here's someone with high heels on a trapeze and they're still holding on and there's clouds in the background. So thank you for that. And also important to mention is also the design of your book the chapter layout like 
how you begin the book. And, and here's what's interesting is I've mentioned this before when I was a guest on someone else's podcast and we were talking about my book is that a lot of times I skip the introduction of a book and I want to get right to the chapters and and I know the introduction is important but you begin with what I believe is the most powerful powerful introduction which for me is where you put yourself out there to the reader your honesty is both inspiring and I'm getting goosebumps scary during the writing process were you nervous about putting yourself out there because we're going to talk a bit more about how you put yourself out there but as a writer personally if i'm holding back and i'm not being authentic and transparent then i'm not writing well and i and, and when i say i'm not writing well because that's just the tip of the iceberg you write excellent were you nervous about putting this out there heck yeah <laughs> rico i couldn't write the book for like three or four months I had like I signed up for the program and then I didn't write anything because I was scared to death of course it's the hardest thing I ever went through in my life and to like first of all write it and relive it was tough but then to like put it out there to other people was horrible horrible and scary and I just it was a huge obstacle huge roadblock and um probably set my book back by six months um, so yes, absolutely. And I got through it, obviously, and, and it with the help of like therapists, executive coach, and just in them saying this is an important story for you to share. But my very close friends, when I shared it with them, how much trouble I was having, they said, well, you have what Brene Brown calls a vulnerability hangover. You know, when you put it all out there, and then you're like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? So that's what happened to me. I put it out there and I said, oh my gosh, what do I do? And just so you know, I still feel that way today. So it's very, I'm very, I've been very slow in promoting the book. I mean, honestly, my closest family and friends, some of them haven't even talked to me about the book. Wow. Like, even though they bought it and they know that I have it, like we haven't ever talked about like if they liked it, have they read it? Like, I think it's, it's so personal that I think the people closest to me have a hard time reading it because they, I think I can speculate as to why, but I, I kind of feel like maybe I have presented myself as this very strong person for so long and just see that I fell so hard. I think it's maybe scary to the people closest to me. And then the people who have confided in me <clears throat> and kind of said, I'm so sorry you went through that. I feel bad because I wish I was there for you or I could have been there for you. And it really, I don't, I didn't write it to make anyone feel bad. It was, it was my own thing and no one I don't think could have helped me do it any differently. So I hope people don't feel bad who are close to me, but I think for those closest to me, it's a hard book to read. And, and even if you kind of know me, it's a hard book to read <laughs> and, or at least that intro, right? Like yes. I get past that, but, um, but I feel like as I get out of, the inner circle, the bullseye and go out a little bit further. It's, um, it's really, it's powerful for people who don't know me as well and aren't as invested in me as a person, but really are looking at it for help for them and, okay. and help and, and to help them move forward. So yes, long answer to your short question of, was this hard to write? Yes, absolutely. Well, I appreciate Very the difficult. long I appreciate the long answer and I'm sure my listeners will too. And I just want to say that it was tough to read. It was tough to read because uh, 
you're always so put together, right? But I'm the same person. Mm -hmm. I'm always so put together and I meet people and they're like, oh, how do you do it all? How do you, you know, you teach fitness classes in the morning, then you work and your work is, you know, it, it's it's challenging and then you teach again and uh, and you have a family and, and this, this and that. And mm -hmm. inside you're falling apart. You're just like falling mm -hmm. apart. So immediately I could relate to what you were talking about it, all the way to the darkest, darkest mm -hmm. spot of where you went with this. Um, so with that being said, you also met, mentioned, and, and this is why it's relatable, recognizing that your mind wants to do it all, because my mind tells me you can do it all, and your body just can't or won't. I remember being so uh, just tired is probably the best word, uh, fatigued, you know, from running here and there, that even something as simple as doing a push up was challenging. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm physically mm -hmm. fit, you know, and, and those who know me, they'd be like, wait up, you couldn't do a push up, but my mind and my body, my body was saying, look, your mind wants to do this. I'm telling you, you can't. Here's, 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 here's the stop sign. Here's the slap in the face. You can't even do a push-up. So can you tell me a bit about that statement when you made that statement about that recognizing your, your mind wants to do it all, your body just can't or won't. Can you share with our listeners the warning signs? Like, did you have warning signs before that? For sure. I mean, I think we all do, right? Um, so I saw a study from Kaiser that in January 2021, um, which is when everything happened with me and we're kind of at the height of the pandemic, 41% of people um, were experiencing anxiety and depression or felt symptoms of that. And so you're feeling those symptoms, right? And, and the symptoms could feel like the world is closing in or you're just really tired or you can't do the things that you normally could do. And, and it's, you're on a verge of burnout, but your mind, I think, especially type a high achievers, more positive people are like, I'm just going to power through. It's the American way, you know, like I, um, just gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps and, you know, keep going. And, you know, there just got to be a point where I just, my body wouldn't do anywhere. It wouldn't get out of bed. Or, you know, I, or you just feel like so sad or you can't fall asleep and you have insomnia or you can't do some of the things that you were saying physically, it manifests in other people. Like they have a heart attack, they have a stroke, you know, you hope it doesn't ever get to that point, but some people later in life just have severe illnesses where it's like a wake up call and a lot. And I've heard other high achievers talk about this very thing. And there's even people who treat these people who say that, 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 that we just don't listen to our bodies. We're not a society that values rest yes. or, um, or taking it easy or saying no, right. We're all about all in all the time. We work hard, we play hard, you know, there's not like, <laughs> Yes, I rest softly. And so, you know, I just subscribed to that for the longest time. I just I didn't know any other way. And sure, I heard about self care and stuff. But I would always think like, I don't have time for that. Like that's for wussies or for people who don't want to achieve all the things I want to achieve or, or I can't relax, you know, like to meditate, like I can't sit still for 10 minutes. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but 
So what happens is then you just become disassociated from your body. There's two parts to us. There's our body and our mind, and you need to listen to both of them. But most people, I would argue, especially in America, listen to their minds the most. Yes. Our minds rule our body until our body says like, hey, I'm here. Don't forget about me. And sometimes if you don't listen, then it comes crashing down. And so that's what happened with me. Like my body was like, we're done. Peace out. You can't do this anymore. I'm not going to let you do this anymore. We're done. Yes. Um, and so, you know, one thing I know you teach yoga, but one thing my yoga teacher would always say um, is like, how are you feeling? You know, where, are you, you know, just, just feel. <laughs> yes. And, and I think we lose sight of that. We lose our feeling. We don't feel into our bodies. Yes. Um, and we're in our heads. And so when those two become disassociated, bad things happen, anxiety, depression, burnout, illness, all kinds of addiction, whatever, the more connected you are to your body, I think the healthier you are. But I had to learn, like, I didn't just get that. And I don't think anyone really teaches you that. It's just something that I think they are teaching it more now in school, actually. Thank God. Um, but I did. I just didn't know that, you know, I had to get to be 50 years old before I figured that out. Wow. Um, so Tracy, interesting, because there's a book uh, that is an amazing book. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know yes. if you've heard of it. Brain. Yeah, it's in the book. Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah. You do talk about it. Yeah, uh, brain, about mind, and body yeah. and the healing yeah. of tra trauma. And I think everyone yeah. should read that book because our body will manifest. It will manifest what our mind is not paying attention to. And, you know, you could get to a point where you were at or you cannot listen to your body and end up with a chronic illness. And not that anxiety is not chronic. Anxiety is chronic and just, you know, thoughts are chronic. And if we're not seeking therapy, I'm a big believer in therapy as well. And uh, so with that being said, I want to jump ahead, uh, which is not was not going to be my intention because what where I'm jumping ahead at is your first chapter, which is the stop sign uh, yeah. and, and stop signs. So with that being said, it's an integral part of our life's journey and all journeys for that matter, whether, whether it be career relationships, education, both formal and informal. You mentioned that a stop sign can be unexpected and expected generously allowing your reader to see a stop sign from both perspectives of good and bad wanted and unwanted having a duality that is part of life at your comfort level if you're willing to share some and they're going to read it in the book you know and yes. I, I hope my listeners yeah. go out and quickly purchase your book because it's a must-have can you tell your low point and sort of the sure you know, what, what began this journey of ultimately writing this book and a little bit about that January morning, the January morning. Yes. So in my introduction, I, up here, um, I share that I am this high achieving person who always operate. I have two speeds like on and off hundred percent or zero. So if I wasn't go, go, going, I'm sleeping and that's just not sustainable. Right. And during the pandemic or actually before the pandemic, I had had some bouts with anxiety and depression where I had panic attacks and, and I got on medication and I fixed it. I thought I fixed it. And I think that's what happens, right? Bef before you 
totally burn out. You just try to, I guess, fix the sy- symptoms with, I think, and a lot of times medication, right? But that doesn't yes. solve the problem. You're just putting a Band-Aid on it. So that's, I put some Band-Aids on the underlying things my body has been telling me all along. My body was keeping score. Yeah. Um, and I tried to fix it and it didn't just, it didn't quite work. And so at the height of the pandemic, um, it's like January, which in Chicago, it's cold, it's dark, it's not a pleasant place to be. We've been trapped in our houses, right? Um, not really going anywhere. I'm more of an extrovert. So that was really hard. I was feeling, I'm also claustrophobic. So I was feeling very claustrophobic. Like I had to literally ex- escape. During that time, I, d- I have three children who are two or teens, one's a tween. They were doing remote learning. Uh, my husband was working from, I was working from home and it was just an intense time. And I was doing well, I thought in my job. Um, but then, you know, I had, um, a performance review, I guess a conversation where I was told, you know, it was, it was a devastating conversation. Let's just say, because as a high achiever, you know, I've been, and actually work my whole life has been the one thing when everything else was wrong. I can just do well and excel. I have always excelled. And so to have that conversation, whether it was justified or not, that's a whole nother story. Um, But it was just devastating and more devastating, I think, than it should have been. And so that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And so that happened on a Friday afternoon. And by Saturday, I was I was a mess, like I like nonstop crying. And again, I don't think it was just that conversation. I think it was the culmination of everything. And my body was just like, you're done. You know, like you haven't listened to me. You, we need to, we need to change the situation here. And I was, I was spiraling down, down, down into a very deep, dark place. And finally by, um, Sunday morning, I was just like almost inconsolable. And I, and we also had a blizzard that overnight and I, I spoke with my therapist that morning and I usually, um, so I, I had a therapist that I talked to intermittently because just to help me manage my anxiety. And I had called her for an emergency call that morning on a Sunday morning and she took the call and she left me with, you can do hard things. But I, I was, I think I was just out of my mind, basically, um, into my body and my body, you know, when you have anxiety, you have the fight, flight, or freeze. And so I was in flight mode and I wanted to leave and not come back. Wow. (laughs) So I try, I went out into our, I had my pajamas on. I went out into the garage, opened the alley door, and I was faced with like three or four feet of snow, but that did not deter me. The snow. I (laughs) I tried to like dig my way out of the garage. I was so mad and angry and I just, I needed to leave. Um, I was trying to leave the world, I think, but I, that was my first foray into leaving the world was just getting out of my house. Um, but God had other plans. So I tried to go down, I made it like halfway down my alley and then I just couldn't anymore. I couldn't. And, and then the guys who live by me, they're all looking at like, at me, like I'm a crazy woman. I'm, out, I'm in my pajamas trying to leave in a minivan during a blizzard. <laughs> um, and like literally all the neighbors are out of the houses. Like sh- everyone's out there shoveling. Um, and cause it had finished snowing. It was just, everyone's out there trying to shovel through the aftermath. And so my neighbor met and got me back into the garage and my husband had finally come out to help. And he's like, what were you thinking? And 
I don't even remember what I said to him, but I was just like, I don't want to be here anymore. So then I went in, I went back in the house and, you know, slammed the door and went in my bed. And then I started Googling um, how to kill yourself, which is not uh, something anyone ever. Now, remember, I'm on my, out of my mind and because I wanted to leave. And um, somehow I came across the suicide outline and I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to them. And then I came across Sarah Silverman. I don't even know why that popped up. I think I was, oh, I switched over to Instagram. And she literally says, you think about killing yourself today? And I was like, looking around, like, how does she know? And then, and then she's like, don't, don't do it. You're a procrastinator. Just wait one more day. And, you know, you know, think about it again tomorrow, but just today, just put it off. So I was like, I am a procrastinator. (laughs) (laughs) And not that this is a laughing matter, but you mentioned Sarah Silverman and, you know, obviously. Yes, I know. I'm like, yes, but because you're out of your I mean, I think anyone in that state of mind is out of their minds or not. They're like out of their bodies. They're totally disembodied. They're just like you were wanting to escape. And I truly believe that no one really wants to kill themselves. I, I really at least, and that's, I mean, I've been struggling with that and even putting that out there. I, I mean, I think that that's what it comes down to. Like I hadn't been thinking about it for days. You know, it was a very much a spur of the moment. Like it was claustrophobia. Like I had to escape. I was in flight mode and that was in my head, the answer. Like, I'm just going to leave everything. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness there was a blizzard. I mean, obviously all the things I'm telling you, the obstacle, like it wasn't very well thought out. It was just escape, escape, escape. Yes. And even when I'm back in my house where I might have more things to help me along, I come across Sarah Silverman, who's like, just put it off one more day. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So I did. I mean, I have medications, right? So I just took one like Xanax or something and I fell asleep. Okay. And, and that was the end of it. That, that was the end of the episode, but I'm like ashamed of that episode of like that, that even happened that I even let myself get to that point. And it's really hard to talk about, but maybe I need to talk about it more because I feel like maybe like people just don't want to talk about it. First of all, Mm -hmm. like that it even exists that other people experience it. And then after it happens to some people and they are successful, they're like, Oh, I wish I would have known. I don't know. Um, Cause I just feel like we can probably talk about it more if people want to do more. I I agree with you. So I, I feel like that's why I'm putting out my book and sharing this because if someone like me, who's like, all oh, looks like, you know, Sally Sue put together, whatever can feel this, then anyone can feel it. Absolutely. You know? And thank you for sharing that. Uh, you're tearing up. I'm tearing up. It's <laughs> like, uh, and I got that nervous laugh, you know, right now. Um, so thank you for sharing that because that sets the stage for you to be the hero of your own book the hero of Mm. your life because um and and you and i had this conversation right before we got on to record this podcast a couple days ago and i said i'm saving something to discuss later during this podcast but that's just the stage because immediately Mm. while reading that my first instinct was to reach out to you and say tracy i had no idea but i'll be honest rico has a lot of empathy i am true feeling and all that and i recognize that um you know, people have lives and they may seem very put together and, and, but there's issues. There's always going to be something that will, you know, challenge you. And then we find a way through. Right. And I say, we, because Mm -hmm. that's all of us, 
you know, we, we've all have been there. We've all hit rock bottom. We've all felt at our lowest. We've invested ourselves in our careers and in relationships. And that when they go wrong, we also challenge a bit of us and like, what's wrong with me? Or why is this not working? And we get it. And when we don't listen to those warning signs, those stop signs, but a stop sign is clear. There's red flags, mm -hmm. there's the yellow slow down light, there's all of that. So I really appreciate that you created that stop sign. And uh, I was gonna save this to later, but Tracy, you are everything. And I hope you know that. And I hope that that has always come through in every conversation. Cause initially when, like I said, when you and I first met, I'm like, wow, what an amazing person. And she understands what, what a whiteboard is and you know, the sandbox and this and that and all these communication pieces. And I don't work in communications, but I've, you know, worked in brand marketing as, as far as like trying to get a project I was working out. And so I always appreciate my marketing folks and my communications folks and, you know, uh, their insight. And so you've always have been that person and being a parent is one of the biggest challenges. I know there's other parents who are gonna hear this and they're like, yep, Tracy's right, Rico's right. Uh, I've, and then probably not to that extent, but I feel overwhelmed and I'm not listening to my body and I constantly am getting colds and I'm constantly under under the weather and so on. And I love the fact that your, your therapist said that you can do hard things. Um, so, you actually went back to that. You went back to that. You can do hard things. You weren't, you heard it, but on that day, you were, like you said, you, you just needed a quick escape. You were feeling claustrophobic. And, you know, my mom tells me she suffers from being, you know, claustrophobic and tight spaces. I don't like tight spaces as well. Um, but then you see her place and it's like, tons of stuff. She collects everything. You know what I mean? I'm like, this would be my nightmare. But at the same time, it's like this, like I said, there's a duality of the expected and unexpected. And I think, you know, even with folks who are claustrophobic, a tight space can feel very limiting. And but you can have this like home and then fill it in with things actually creating less square footage. And that's why I'm a minimalist that will that it doesn't seem like claustrophobia. And so I think it's the same sort of thing you were going through is there were these red flags, your body was responding, there were things happening, but you were collecting, collecting, and not realizing until you made this huge collection, and then it became too much to handle. You were, you know, putting your feelings aside and sort of like with some folks who are like, oh, I'm just going to reorganize and I'm going to pack these things up in a box and put them to the side. So in my mind, you were putting a lot of things to the side and probably mm -hmm. not facing or dealing with some of those things, those red flags. Like you said, you've seen it happening, kind of coming into play. Um, so how, how did you find out when you went back to that you can do hard things? How did that inspire you and give you the ability to cope and push through? Uh, how, how, how did that happen? I, so I felt really trapped when you're claustrophobic, you just feel trapped and like you can't escape and it feels, makes you feel panicky. And I think I was feeling that way before that day in January, it was, it was building up right between work and home life. And I think and my past trauma, I had never dealt with it. So it just all kind of came. It was a crescendo, right? And I knew I wanted out. 
I just didn't know what out looked like. And then when I had the crash, I felt like out was out of this life. But when I woke up, I knew I didn't want out of this life. I knew that that wasn't right. And that I, I was not in my right mind and I needed a different path. And that different path was going to be me doing hard things and putting myself out there. And so the first thing I did, I guess the first thing you make a decision to is like, I want to live like, this is not me, you know, like, how did I even get here? And I was horrified. I was horrified and embarrassed and ashamed and all of those things. But I also knew that, gosh, to get to that point, Tracy, you, you need help. Like, this is like cancer. It's a cancer in your head. Like you need to like take time to recalibrate. And so I knew, like, I I knew I couldn't go back to work, but I wasn't sure how I was going to do that. And I was like, my head was spinning. And so I consulted like my doctor, my therapist, um, and looked at, and some friends and like, what can I do? I knew I couldn't go, like, what were my options? And so one of the first things I did was I took FMLA for anxiety, which a lot of people, I think, don't know that you can do that. And it was really hard for me to do that because I didn't tell anybody where we worked because we worked together, what happened and where I went. And that was also very hard for me because I had a lot of close relationships at work, but I had to kind of disappear from life for a while to work on getting better, like an illness. Like if you had like hip surgery or something, like I had to go work on my my brain, you know, and just recalibrate And, um, and so that's what I did. And that was the hard thing. Like, it was very difficult for me to acknowledge that I needed help, ask for that help, and then kind of disappear from life in a lot of ways, um, and work. It was easier because it was the pandemic. We weren't in the office. I don't know if I would have been as strong had I been at the office where people would physically, I don't know if a lot of people knew. I mean, they kind of knew, but you know, everyone was at home. So everyone was kind of missing. Um, so that was like the first hard thing I did. And it, and then it, after I, all that got settled, then it was kind of like a, a relief, like relief yes. and release that I had the space and time to get better. So I had up to three months to get my act together. And, but then I'm like, okay, now what? Do I go to a convent? Do I go to a mental institution? Do I take a vacation? Like I, none of those were really options for me. It was COVID. No one was going anywhere, um, let alone hospitals. Um, and I had a family, you know, I couldn't just leave my husband with my kids. And I mean, I guess I could have, but I was like, okay. So I knew I'm like, okay, this is a gift that I'm able to even do this. So how am I going to make the most of it? So I cobbled together my own recovery towards what I don't know, but I just knew I was walking towards a better and more resilient life. So that I never, I knew I never, ever, ever wanted to feel that way again. Wow. And so I was trying to take steps towards that. Wow. And, um, thank you for that because in your book, you mentioned the myth of the Lone Ranger. So, mm-hmm. and, and we're jumping all over Tracy's book right now because it, you know, what I love to do and what I say in the introduction for the podcast is that we're going to have a casual conversation and obviously there's, um, preparation and so on but i think it's more effective when we just have this casual conversation so yeah you know you mentioned the myth of the lone rager which i really 
resonated and i some people don't know who the lone ranger is and if you don't please check out uh old television series but the lone ranger you know you think of this person on this horse and they're going from town to town and uh they're alone and they're moving through this process and one of the most important parts is like as you're making this decision on what to do next and how to get the uh, time you deserve and um, and by time I mean treatment and uh, opportunity to refocus and uh, move forward uh, there's there's no lone ranger you know uh, there are but we we all don't get there by ourselves and and you know and and I think sometimes people feel that they have to get there by themselves uh, recently I did a uh, presentation um, I'm building a cultural wellness and I went against that the saying of there's no I in team and actually told people there is an I in team because you kind of have to take care of yourself first before Ooh, I you... like that <laughs> I mean counterculture. Yeah, counterculture, but it, it there's an I in team because you're a part of that, right? And you're part of this larger sort of, uh, what whether it, it be a group, a community, so on and so forth. And that's why fitness classes are so, they're, they're so successful is because once you hold yourself accountable to someone, once you start to reach out to those around you, you'll find uh, similarities, you'll find the support you need. And so I think that during that process of what next, what next, how do I do this? You're finding that, you know, that, that support system. So like, I am a fitness coach, as you know, and then obviously I work in the health association industry. But I didn't get there alone. I didn't get there with the help out the help of my family. Uh, you mentioned chosen family, you know, which I also mentioned in my book, uh, the importance of chosen family. With a little bit of that, I think it, it's safe to say that uh, you were able to start to share, and that was important. I think that when you mention chosen family, you're also mentioning your support system. You're also putting, mm -hmm. uh, you, you're building the reader up, letting the reader know that you, although you are the hero of the book, you're not the Lone Ranger because you didn't get there by yourself. You got there with the help of other people. Right. You mentioned the Beatles, uh, listen to your people. You know what I mean? You get by with a little help from your friends. You yes, know? yes. And and I just love yeah. that. And, and as I, a, I'm sorry. No, I was going to agree with you with the Lone Ranger. So I think it's an American thing, right? It's like the Marlboro man, you know, it's the cowboy. Even if you don't know who the Lone Ranger is, I think everyone has this image of the ultimate American, quote unquote, of like a guy with his cowboy hat riding by himself into the sunset on his horse. I mean, that's essentially the Lone Ranger, except he was, you know, he, he helped people. He's kind of like a sheriff, right? Yes. Um, But I think that's how we in America function that we can. And it's the other, I talk about the legend of the bootstrapper, like pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, you know, like the person who's going to work hard. And I think, that it's it's a lie like you know if you just work hard enough everything will happen for you and that's a big fat lie yes and so i had to dismantle that lie and rebuild up my new truth and so the stop sign made me examine what 
the truth was, what the lie was, what the myths were, like that I could do it all by myself. If I just worked hard enough, things would fall into place, all of that, and then rebuild what my truth was. And so the book kind of outlines these three pillars of, I call them three pillars of connection. One is to look inside and, and really that like there's no I in team. There is an I in team. It's you have to take care of yourself first. So you have, and not just take care of yourself. You have to establish a body mind connection. And so I talk about how to do that in the book. And then, um, then it's look outward. So look for the helpers. We all, it's your chosen family, your friends, and, and the circle outside of that coaches, spiritual advisors, therapists, whatever people who like the same things, like common interests, hobbyists, whatever. But we all get by with a little help from our friends. And there's data that shows that loneliness is through the roof. I think they said like one in three people are lonely right now. And that being lonely is as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or being an alcoholic or being obese. Like that should make people wake up because that right there says you can't be the Lone Ranger. It's bad for you. And here's all the data to show how bad it is for you. Yes. And then and then the last pillar is looking to the great beyond is what I call it. And it's okay. we're all spiritual beings. So it doesn't necessarily mean God. It could mean the universe or it could mean where you find meaning and purpose and where you can commune with something that's that what you that and what you what you can't see. Um something that's bigger than you that that gives you life that yes. and and makes you feel alive and and so i say those those are the three things those are the three pillars that i found through reading research i read a ton of books during my time off um talked to a ton of people and that's what i found to be kind of the secret sauce is the body mind connection connecting with others and then connecting with something greater than yourself and that's like finding your purpose also in all of that. And then once you have those three connections, those three pillars of connection, which is different for everyone, you need to let go and make space for that to ha happen in your life. And also, I think, experience some sort of forgiveness of yourself, of others, so that you can experience the, those three pillars of connection. And so that's, I mean, I, I said kind of at the beginning, I was looking for the recipe for living your best life. And I feel like that's part of it is those three things. Ever since I wrote my book, I keep reading and watching and seeing more things. And it's just, I feel like it's more and more true the more that I learn. I just didn't even know half of what I know now when I wrote the book. Yes. And there's just so much um, research that backs that up. And I, so I think that the biggest takeaway is what I would say is to connect. <laughs> Yes. Like wow. that's, that's the biggest takeaway. And that's how you build resilience. You can't yes. do it by yourself. No man is an island. You have to connect with yourself, with others, with something bigger than you. And if you can connect into some power source and you can be your own power source or your people can be your power source or God and the universe can be your power source, maybe all at once, all at different times. But if you can do that, then you can make it through those hard times and persevere and be more resilient. Wow. Wow. Well, well, thank you for that. Because <laughs> when you mentioned this in your book, and you say to look inward, it, it got me thinking about, you know, how I design a spin class, you know, or a hit class and so on and so forth. And, you know, for some spin, 
studios, you may have what we call a connect song. And it is a song that you're sort of like, and, and I, I've mentioned this in my book, and I mentioned this in a, another episode of the podcast, but I think it's worth mentioning again, is where the instructor doesn't chat as much. And the words and the music itself help the writer experience this moment to recover. So you're going like 80 RPMs, 88 RPMs, whatever it may be. Uh, but you look inward, you know, like uh, today, as a matter of fact, on a run, one of uh, my good friends, Lynn, we were talking and she mentioned that she uh, listened to the song by Jelly Roll, um, Save Me. And she's like, Rico, that was a really, really sad song. And then I said, really? I was like, yes, it is actually with a smile. But then I said, but you know, it's relatable. You know, like when I first heard that song, I kept playing it on repeat, on repeat. And, and it was just, it was just amazing. And so it allowed me to look inward and not to say that I was experiencing the same issues that the person who wrote the song was experienced, but it gave me perspective and it allowed me to look inward and then look outward and then beyond. Because even if I cannot relate at that moment, I'm still looking inward to find how I relate to that music and that mm -hmm. feeling. And then I look outward and I'm like, okay, where is it at around me? And then I look mm -hmm. beyond because it exists for a reason. Those lyrics exist for a reason, mm -hmm. which, you know, and, and so I, I just want to say thank you for sharing that part about looking inward, outward and beyond. I think that's really important for the listeners to understand that that's part of the process that you're taking us through as you laid out your book and as the reader, as a reader, we're, we're doing that. And then we end up doing it in those questions at the end of each of your chapters. So you mentioned that emotions are energy. Can you tell me a little bit about good and bad emotions and how you cope with them or how you how they manifest and how you work through them? Sure. I think that's a great question. So energy or emotions are energy in motion. And if you try to stuff emotions, they get stuck and trapped. And I think in the body keeps score, they talk about that. Like how, when you experience trauma, especially you don't, who wants to feel those emotions, right? And they get stuck and you try to ignore that that even happened to your mind disassociate maybe, but your body remembers. <laughs> yes. And, absolutely. And, and you, and you try to stuff it down, <clears throat> but it comes back up whether or not you want it to, you know, it, it doesn't matter how dedicated you are <laughs> to, to stuffing that emotion down and how you're like, I'm just not going to deal with that, that that happened. It's better to deal with the emotion whether it's a happy emotion or a sad emotion or a good emotion, I don't think there's any bad emotions. Maybe there's okay. better emotions. There's emotions that are better and easier to feel maybe, but I've talked to people who are also when they're really happy or good things are happening, they get nervous, you know, like someone's going to take it away, you know? So like there's, you know, I guess good and bad things about all emotions. But I, I think the number one thing I would say is that emotions are just emotions. Don't look or feel without judgment. And look at, and that's what they also say, like when you meditate, you know, just try to clear your mind. And if a thought comes up, don't assign an emotion to it, good or bad, do it without judgment, and then just let it go. 
And so I would say the same thing with emotions. Like I, since everything has happened and I'm on this new path, I definitely let myself feel emotions more. Like I used to, if I would find myself tearing up, I would step it down and I would stop, stop it. And now I'm like, Ooh, that's a tear. You know, like I want to like feel experience emotion. Yes. Feel the emotion of tearing. So I would say feel your emotions. Don't name them as good or bad. You can name it. Like I'm scared. I'm, I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm nervous. I'm jealous, whatever it is, like, don't, don't put judgment on your emotions because they're in motion and and they are energy and they will flow through you. And that's the other thing. You're not going to feel that way forever. You're not going to feel happy forever. You're not going to feel sad forever. And that's the other thing about the way I felt that day when I was at my darkest point is that it was just a feeling and that feeling will pass and it's like waves in the ocean. And so emotions, all emotions are like that. And they're not going to be forever. I think we all want some of the emotions to be forever, but they're not, and they're not meant to be. And so the more that we can kind of ride the wave of emotions and embrace them, then they won't get stuck inside of you. And I think overall, you'll be more content and you won't maybe have that nagging feeling like what's wrong, you know, because it will come back. You may not want it. You might say, like, oh, I don't like that emotion. I don't like the way I'm feeling there. You know, and get curious too. say like, oh, that's interesting. Again, without judgment. Why do I feel that way? And then you can help. It also helps you get to know yourself better and getting in touch with your body. Like, why is my body feeling this way? It's that's your body mind connection. So I think when you acknowledge your emotions, you're acknowledging your body because your body is always telling you things all the time. Right. Our five yes. senses. And so if your body is feeling something like, like maybe when you meet someone, you get a weird feeling, don't ignore that feeling. Maybe ask yourself without judgment, huh? I wonder why I feel that way. Yes. Um, why is my stomach in knots, you know? And it could be like, you're scared to death of them or you're thinking they're cute or whatever. I mean, it could be so many (laughs) different things, right? But don't, don't put judgments on it. And I think what I would do is when I would, in the past, when I would feel, especially what we would call more negative emotions. And I think, again, Americans a lot, because we want to be happy and whatever. And if there's any emotion that we're feeling that's derailing us from our goal of being happy or successful or working hard, then we'll shove it off to the side and like, I'll either deal with it later or I'm going to ignore it altogether. Yes. And that's where we get in trouble because it will come back. It, I guarantee that emotion will come back if you don't deal with it. And in yes. dealing with it could be something as simple as like recognizing like, hey, I just noticed I felt jealous or hey, I just noticed, but without judgment. So, and at least acknowledging it and then moving on from it. Yes, you know? I agree. And, and, and the way you presented it with waves, I, I mean, when, so when I was reading and, you know, you mentioned valleys are sometimes very beautiful and so on. But I love the analogy of waves because if a wave, if you're not dealing with it, and, and this is what's in what I'm seeing and, and what I'm envisioning, is that wave is going to come back stronger. 
And then it's, mm -hmm. and you don't deal with, and it's going to come back stronger and stronger until it knocks you out. And, you know, we've all seen it on television, or if you've been to either the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean or any beach, you'll see a wave come in and then there's the undercurrent and it's taking some sand back into the main body of water. And then you see the waves get bigger, you know, and that's how waves start. They start very small. And then they just come back and they're bigger and they're building momentum, you know, and it's always due to the weather patterns and stuff like that. And the weather pattern may not even be in your local area. It could be from somewhere else that this weather, you know, the weather pattern is changing the waves that are come crashing in. So thank you for that, because I think a lot of people, like you said, tend to label emotions negative positive and to think oh if i could only hold on to this emotion a little bit longer but i think it also allows us this opportunity to grow you know what i mean the pandemic was extremely challenging at the very beginning it is still challenging you know there's still ripple effects and so on both positive and negative but in episode in my launch episode with lauren i, I kind of felt bad at one point because we were both like oh we enjoyed our time during the pandemic and and for us it was because our schedules were so busy and not to say mm -hmm. they weren't as busy we just couldn't do our fitness jobs and teach and so on and so forth but we were able to do our nine to fives but it also gave us time to reflect there were all these mm -hmm. moments of an opportunity just to reflect spend more time with family who lived in your home you know because mm -hmm. we were all quarantined so on and so forth um so it, and eventually i want to get to that and but i do want to mention something else that uh i think is important as you mentioned mentioned michael's zingers the untethered soul and mm -hmm. you mentioned mm -hmm. the monkey mind and you know mm -hmm. um mm -hmm anxiety presenting at night when i was in my yoga st studies for my uh yoga instructor certification teacher certification that was one of my textbooks and that book to this day is now a reference book even though it's very you know he, he lays it out so perfectly like that book is amazing and if you get the audible version of it as well that's equally as as amazing because the voice yeah, is I so think soothing that's when i need to go back because i did yoga training too and that was one of my required texts and when you say you want to read books a couple times that's definitely one i want to revisit absolutely absolutely and so i want to leave that portion for the readers uh of your book and the listeners to say hey i want to go check out this michael uh singer on the untethered soul book but um i think what you said about recognizing and letting go falls exactly in line with what he writes about because he writes about you know at at night you, you mentioned at night like if i'm going to practice a release that i have to introduce to class uh let's say specifically les mills body pump and i learn the all the exercises for all the body parts learn the music learn the counts and so on i can't sleep at night and it's not because it's, i'm going to be nervous and be in front of students who i know you know i teach these fitness classes but it's it's because my mind keeps recollecting recollecting and keeps moving through that process and then i teach the class and i never have anxiety about that particular form or format or that release again. And I think mm -hmm. it's very much like emotions where 
they present some anxiety and you like try to push it to the side, but you sort of accept it and then move on. And then, you know, after that first day of doing a new release, then I sleep like so well. So with, with all of that being said, there's a couple more things that I would like us to discuss because there's so many conversations we could have on this, but I don't want to give it all away because I want to save a lot of it for episode two for when you become the host and you're going to ask me questions. I'm going to put you on a spot and you're I'm going excited. To... I'm excited. It's the journalist in me. <laughs> there you go. And you're going to ask Rico these questions and I'll be able to give my perspective. Um, and, and I want people to know we're going to be talking about Anthony Bourdain because um, you mentioned him in your book under a different context. And I mentioned him under my book in a different context as well. But um, to help folks understand we're going to end today's episode with a poem, but we before we get to the poem, this poem that I, and, and I, I'm a poet and I love poetry and I have so many poetry books. And I'm, so I'm gonna put you on the spot and ask you to recite the poem. So I hope you have it ready. I know you have your book next to you, yeah. but before I do that, there's in everyone's lives, as we move through emotions and just life in general, uh, we need to take breaks. And how does Tracy, and, and in my book, I mention breaks spread out sporadically during a spin class and um, participa participants have in autonomy over being able to take a break. How do you disconnect and how do you take your break? How do I disconnect? So, or replenish your soul. How do you find yeah, that center so, again? So I, it's a daily practice. And I say practice because I don't get it right every day. And I think that's probably the biggest thing I learned through everything I went through is like, it's, it's not a destination. It's not like, well, when I do all these things, then I can take a break or, or if I do all these things, then I'll be happy. It's not, it's finding joy in the journey and doing things daily. So I don't even look at it as maybe taking a break per se. It's like, this is how I want to live my life. Like, I don't want to be on the hamster wheel anymore. And so I look at it as I have four things that I try to do every day that I know will center me and ground me. Um, it's yoga, meditation, reading, um, and journaling. And I don't do all of those every day. I know that probably sounds like a long list, but, and I also don't do them like it's not like a half an hour, hour or whatever. It's, you know, a few minutes of each. I would say yoga is like 15 to 20 minutes. Meditation is maybe 10. Reading can maybe be longer. I get up early. So maybe like a half hour and the journaling can be five minutes or long. Now, most days I'm lucky if I do one, just in full disclosure, but I have that intention and I know, oh, actually today I did them all. Yay. <laughs> and, and, and preparing for you. Yeah. But it helps center me and it grounds me and it helps me be more present. And, and that's what, you know, kind of going back to Michael Singer, I know you mentioned him a lot. And I think the big takeaway from his book is that you are not the voice in your mind. You're the one who listens to the voice in your mind. And so you have that power to dismiss that thought let it go. You're not the the, the monkey mind. Yes. And that's just that simple thought is so, so powerful. So I try to nurture the observer and be the observer in my daily life. So even so doing those four things, and even if I just do one helps me get in touch with that observer and set an intention for my day 
so that I can be calm and present throughout my day. And then that helps me be overall less anxious, more purposeful, more content in the day, because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, right? You can't, I think, I feel like a lot of us are, we're goal oriented people. We're always planning for the future state of something like the better house, the better car, the better job, the vacation. And those are all wonderful goals to have, but I'm trying to learn how to be happy with where I'm at today and be present. And that's the biggest difference. So that if you're not like, so I don't look at it as like, how do I take time for myself or set, you know, like I try to incorporate that in my everyday and be intentional. The other thing I talk about in the book is about living in the margins um, and just finding like scheduling purposefully time to go for a walk or get a coffee or whatever, so that you're not just going from thing to thing to thing. So that's the other thing I, I think I try to do in the day. So I, I try to live my life on the daily being purposeful and grounded so that I don't feel like I have to take a vacation or do things. I mean, I still take a vacation, do things for myself, like everyone, right. But I think if you if you flip the script a little bit and try to live your daily life, in such a way that you don't necessarily need to take those big breaks. I think everyone needs breaks though, but I think you will be much more fulfilled in life. I love that. And it makes complete sense. I try to do that as well, where I take little splices throughout the day for that walk. I mean, a walk is always a part of my day, but yes. you know, for that coffee, for that self-care, uh, you mentioned aromatherapy candles and the scents and yeah. how they elicit a feeling and so on and so forth. It's it's yeah. sort of like with me and music, with music eliciting a feeling. So as I mentioned, we're going to have a second episode with you as well. And so a lot of the great stuff that we're going to talk about, including the glittery Christmas tree, because I love <laughs> that part. And so we're going to save that for the second episode. Okay, because okay, I think that's going to yeah, because I think that's going to be a part of some of those questions that I answer with you. I, you know, I want to give our listeners enough to digest today. And then mm -hmm. uh, more to digest when we do this reversal where you're the host and you're asking me questions and I'm giving my perspective because I think uh, there's a lot in your future, obviously, because, you know, you and I had a little bit of a chat about this. And when I approached you, you wholeheartedly said, OK, I'm going to be nervous, Rico, but I think this is great because I really put these questions out there at the end of every chapter to sort of challenge folks and to sort of, you know, allow them to adopt and feel that these things are there as well. So for the end of this podcast, I would like you to recite John, I, I don't know how to pronounce the last name, Don's uh, poem, No Man <laughs> no, mm -hmm. no Man is an Island. And then right after that, I'll ask you about your socials and how folks could get a hold of you. But here's sure. your platform to go ahead and recite someone's amazing poem that yeah, had had has had a tremendous effect on you. And uh, that came back around when you needed to recall it the most. And then yes. obviously, we'll talk about that in episode two. Yes. Well, thank you for that. And this poem um, was introduced to me my senior year of high school. And as with a lot of assignments, you kind of push it to the side, and you don't really get the deeper meaning of it. But it has stayed with me all of these years. And I believe it's really about 
that theme I mentioned before about connect and connection and community. And I'm happy to read it today. Um, so it's no man is an island. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If the clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Wow. When I read that poem, I was so moved by it. And then I had to go and read it again and again and again. So now we've encapsulated it in my yeah. podcast. So I'm so excited because then I'll be able to re listen to it again and again. And, and Tracy again, again. Baldwin's voice. Exactly. So Tracy, with that being said, thank you so much for being on our podcast. But can you... um Tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you. What are your socials or what, you know, and where sure. to buy your book? So my book is available on Amazon and in uh, barnesandnoble.com. And uh, I also have a website. It's author Tracy Baldwin. So T-R-A-C-Y-B-A-L-D-W-I-N.com. And I also am on Instagram at author Tracy Baldwin. Excellent. And I'll make sure that I put all of that information in the synopsis, the show notes. And folks, stay tuned for uh, my... Uh, so what I do, Tracy, you don't know this, is uh, I do an outro. outro. So uh, listeners, please stay tuned immediately following this podcast episode for some of my insights and reference to this and to set you up so that you know what to expect in episode two with author Tracy Baldwin life disrupted. Thank you all so very much. Thank you. Wow. As you can probably imagine, especially with my use of wow during this interview, I was both floored and inspired by Tracy's commitment to share her story and to help others. I am still speechless, not in that I cannot think of words to share, but speechless in my ability to formulate this outro. So for assistance, I sought the advice of my Archangel Oracle cards by Doreen Virtue. I chose a three card spread and that spread presented the following cards. Card one, nurture. I believe by sharing her story, Tracy is not only nurturing her own growth, but also the growth of others. And for the purposes of this podcast, you, the listener. The second card is breathe, an amply applied reminder to take a moment to breathe. As Tracy mentioned in her podcast and in her book, it is important to listen to your body and signs to stop, take a moment, and breathe. Let's all take one giant breath and exhale. As a matter of fact, let's pause and do this together. Some of you know there are four parts to the breath. The parts are the inhale, the pause, the exhale, and the pause. Let's do this together. Inhale, pause, exhale, and pause. Now let's do it for a count of four. 
Let's inhale for four, three, two, one. Pause and exhale for four, three, two, one. Pause. Now getting back to the cards, the third card I chose was courage. Reminding me and you, the listener, that sometimes we must muster the courage to get us through difficult challenges. If you are someone you know is seeking mental health support, seek out the assistance of your family and friends, your primary care physician, your school guidance counselor, your work mentor, your human resources staff. And as Tracy's therapist mentions, remember, you can do hard things. If you or someone you know is having a crisis, please have them dial 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, 24 hours a day in multiple languages. You can call or chat 988. Be well, and I look forward to the next interview with Tracy Baldwin.